0: Welcome to DevMode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Earl Johnston from Hypatia Industries.
1: I'm Marian Nullivant, freelancing from Portland, Oregon.
0: And today we have on as a guest, Adam Watham, is currently in an undisclosed location somewhere outside of Toronto, Canada. Adam, Welcome.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: And we're having Adam on to discuss Tailwind CSS, which is something that I have been using over the past month or so. Um, I built the devmode.fm website using Tailwind. And it's a a really neat framework. It's a utility-first framework. And I'm going to let someone who is a lot smarter than I am on this uh, explain what utility-first CSS is.
2: Sure. So uh, the general idea is that instead of having classes for sort of higher level abstractions in your UI, like list groups and cards and stuff like that, uh, Tailwind just provides really low level utility classes for doing things like changing the color of text or setting a background color or setting border radius or adding a box shadow or aligning text in a certain direction or enabling flexbox, uh, all sorts of different things like that. And uh, rather than sort of designing things in your style sheets where you're sort of combining different properties and applying them to higher level classes and then either using those classes in your markup or maybe you're targeting existing sort of hooks that you're exposing through your markup. You take all these little small single purpose classes and you just combine them in your HTML to sort of achieve uh, the design that you're looking for. So it's sort of a trying to sort of flip the way that you would normally work, where instead of deciding how things look in the CSS, uh, you're sort of doing it in the HTML, uh, which can hmm. invoke a bit of a visceral reaction in a lot of people, if it's yeah. the first time you've ever seen it. Yeah, and
0: I'll tell you, my my first, I had a visceral reaction, too. And uh, my first introduction, I'd heard of Atomic CSS and all that kind of stuff, but my first actual um, exposure to this was, we had uh, Simon Swiss uh, who was redoing a website that we were working on together with Tachyons. And when I first saw it, I said, what are you doing? This is horrible. Like, why? It, you're, it looked like he was taking um, sort of a shorthand court-style notation of inline CSS and moving it from the style property to the class property.
2: Yeah, And totally. I, I was
0: like, what are you doing? <laughs> why? I mean I, I'm sure you've heard this before, yeah, right?
2: Definitely. That's kind of like the biggest um the biggest most common reaction, right? Is what what it makes us uh different than inline styles. Like if I'm adding a class that says text red and a and background green, what's different versus just having a style tag that right. says color red, background right. color green? Like what do you what benefit are you getting? And don't we all globally sort of agree that styling things within line styles is like an anti pattern or something, you know? Right. So, well, um, and that,
0: that's the interesting thing, though. So, I uh, majored in photojournalism. And one of the things that our professor told us is like, yeah, I'll teach you all the, uh, the rules and what you should do. But if you break the rules and you do it right, you're probably onto something special. And I think that uh, a lot of the utility CSS or utility first CSS is, is really onto something. Um, and it it does have that initial reaction, kind of almost a revulsion in my case, <laughs> yeah. where you're like, "What?" And, but then, once I saw what you were actually doing with it, I was I was really impressed. And uh, you know, confession time here: CSS is my least favorite thing in the stack of things that I do. <laughs> it, it may be because you know, I'll be handed a, uh, a really pretty design from a designer or my wife, she's a computer graphic designer, and then I'll proceed to spend the next several days banging my head into the monitor, trying to get it to match perfectly, you know, the style that she's given me. Um, but out of all of the things that I work on, CSS is my least favorite, and your um, Tailwind CSS, I'm going to say framework, but I, I wouldn't even really call it a framework sure. um, in the traditional sense is the first thing that I've used that I I didn't hate. I mean, which for (laughs) me is a, it's honestly like a big thing. For me to say that about a CSS something, that's actually a big thing. Um, Cool. But why don't you, why don't you tell us why this isn't bad? Why is it not bad to be, to have this kind of stenographer shorthand notation, like uh, W-4, or W-full sure. and and put those into our um, CSS classes.
2: Yeah, so I think to really um, sort of understand it, you have to like think a few steps back. Uh, There's like a really, um, really sort of famous CSS article that got written several years ago by Nicholas Gallagher, who uh, was an engineer at, at Twitter for the longest time, and I don't think he's there now. But uh, it was called About HTML, semantics and front-end architecture or something like that really really good post but the general sort of thesis of the post was that um, it's been a mistake historically to name your classes after your content because it makes the classes harder to reuse right so instead of having like a class called like author bio and um, he recommends coming up with class names that sort of represent the functional UI thing that you're trying to create so that it's more reusable in the sense that instead of having like an author bio, you might just have a card. And now that card can be used for an author bio. It could be used for a blog post preview. Um, You know, it can be reused in in multiple ways. So instead of writing the same CSS or trying to achieve the same look with different classes, because you're so focused on naming things after your content, he suggests that the most reusable classes are classes that are named, you know, more presentationally, right? Um, but the what he is sort of recommending in in that post are are not classes that invoke that same sort of oh my god this is horrible reaction that you get from seeing something like text red. Right. You know, he's suggesting something like, um, you know, UI list for a list that has no styles. So try and make it um, more generic. Yeah, more generic and less and less tied to the content. And when I read that, that was sort of like a light bulb moment for me. It was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it sort of turns things around a little bit. So instead of writing HTML and choosing a name for a class based on the content, and then sort of using your CSS to hook into the class that you chose when you were writing the HTML, you're doing it the opposite way around. You have HTML, and then you're applying a class that you already have that represents some UI component and applying that in your markup to say, I want this section to look like this component that I've already designed over in my CSS. Um, So once I sort of made that mental switch where I'm naming my classes in my CSS, instead of naming my classes in my HTML, if that makes sense, like I'm naming it based on the visual style that I want this component to have. It just sort of slowly led me down this path of introducing more and more of these low level abstractions. Cause you find yourself in situations where you have two versions of something that look exactly the same except in one of them the text is right aligned and in one of them the text is left aligned right if you're taking like a bm approach or something you might think okay well maybe this is a modifier maybe i have like you know a list left and a list right or something um so that you're not just adding a utility class but once you get to that point where you're creating modifiers for things like that sometimes it feels like just a little bit unnecessary like what if you have another component that also has the same types of modifiers and all you're doing to accomplish that is setting the same property to the same value that you did in the modifier for the other component? Wouldn't it be like more composable to just have utility classes that do those things for you that you can combine with your existing components? So instead of creating a new modifier every time you want a write-aligned version of something, you just have one class that can write align anything. <laughs> Yeah, and, and um,
0: you know, one of the, yeah. the interesting things about this is that I, I think that the thing about Tailwind that I really enjoy is that it has created a effective workflow for me to create CSS, um, whereas before, like, if you know, if I'm styling something, let's say I'm styling a blog, I might write a CSS class that's, you know, uh, h uh, or it might be like blog headline H4, you know, and I would... Uh, apply a bunch of stuff to it, right? Um, And now what I end up doing is uh, in the HTML, you know, I'll just do class equals and then I'll put uh, the various properties, you know, font mono, uh, text size, you know, whatever, and I'll I'll do it all there. But then what I will do is I will see the um, the common classes that I'm using on a number of different things, and then I will factor them back out in the CSS using at apply, um, to then create a, I, I guess you'd call it a, I, I mean I'm calling it a semantically named class, but whatever name, yeah, what I, name I makes the most say sense? Component class. Uh, component uh, is component makes you sound much smarter. So <laughs> everyone wants to build everything in components these days. So we'll call it a component. Um, but it creates a workflow where I can sit down. I don't even have to open up my CSS style sheet, and I can just start prototyping something. I can mock it up. I've got live reload going on in the browser. And I can just type in classes until everything looks right. And then I can refactor out the commonality into a component, using the yep. smart term, um, in the CSS. And then I can start reusing it. And It it's really smart because it lets you prototype something really quickly. And then it lets you see the commonalities and do the refactoring uh, to pull that out into uh, a component class. And I, I think that um, the fact that you can hit the ground running prototyping is really huge, but also the fact that it it kind of gives you an implicit workflow where you then refactor those out into components, and I really, yeah. really enjoy that.
2: Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the thing that really makes it stand out from some of the other utility-focused frameworks, mm-hmm. as we have, it's not just like a library of, Classes, right? It's a library of classes along with sort of a recommended workflow that I think works really well. And that's what we mean when we say like a utility first CSS Mm -hmm. framework. So the idea is you have some piece of UI that you need to implement. You try and build it just by combining all the utility classes that you need. And if you only ever need to do it once, then you just kind of leave it and you're done. But if you need to build something else later and then something else later, and you start to notice, well, you know, all of these things I'm applying the same border radius, the same padding and the right. same shadow. Well, maybe what I have here is like a, a card component or something. And you you ask yourself this question, like if I change the border radius on this element, would I also want to change it on these other two? Like, is there like an implicit link between these? Right. Well, then I should create an abstraction around this, right? And that's when you would extract like a new class called, you know, dot card or, or something like that. And Tailwind comes with tools to make it really easy um to do that so yes, instead of just thank cur- you for add apply <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah so like traditionally if you wanted to do that you would create a new class and then you would figure out well what are the styles that all these classes are applying and now i'm going to just retype those ones in or whatever but using add apply you literally can just copy the list of classes out of your html paste it into your css right um and then replace that list of classes in your html with the new sort of super class that kind of encapsulates all those
0: yeah, and, th- and this actually reminds me. If anyone has any d- done any object oriented programming, it really is kind of the same thing that you're doing uh, when you're defining uh, base classes or inheritance and figuring out you know what methods should go where. And it, it just feels really natural to me as a way that uh, you can factor refactor everything out. You know.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. Just as like a general sort of of way of looking at it right like i think what we have done historically with css is too much premature abstraction like yep. with css traditionally what you've done is you've tried to like avoid duplication instead of um, removing duplication you know what i mean so you're always preemptively trying to name something um, in advance before it's really earned the right to have its own name mm-hmm. um, so what the workflow that we try and encourage with Tailwind is more like what you would do when you're writing, you know, real code, backend right. code or writing JavaScript or something. You just kind of solve the problem and then you look for opportunities to, well, you know, I've got this duplicated code in these two places. Maybe I can extract a function. There.
0: You refactor it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that's and that's exactly the mental model that we're trying to encourage um, with your CSS with Tailwind.
0: So. Yeah. And, and the whole idea... Of utility first CSS within a very short period of time, I have gone from thinking it's an absolutely awful idea to thinking that it's completely brilliant in a very short period of time. <laughs> um, and I'm, you know, just to give people who are not familiar with it um, an example. So I'm, I'm kind of looking at um, some CSS that I have here. Um, and you can do stuff, uh, you know, you can define your, your CSS the way you normally would, like dot tag link, you know, bracket, margin right, whatever, margin left, whatever. But you can also use at apply. And what that lets you do is put the class names in there instead of properties. Um, so you're effectively saying, when you use at apply, you're effectively saying, I want to inherit all of the properties from this CSS class. Um, And it's a really, I mean, it's just brilliant. The workflow that this kind of pushes you to do is just absolutely fantastic.
2: And what I think is kind of interesting is like, I sort of stumbled upon that workflow by using this less preprocessor, you know, so less has sort of fallen out of favor. um, And people use SAS a lot more now. And even in like the really elite circles, people aren't even using SAS anymore doing CSS and JS and all this other you know fancy modern stuff uh, but with less they had this feature that none of the other preprocessors had right which is that you could use an existing class as a mix-in yes and, um,
0: and we did a um, a podcast on tachyons a month or two ago on i think it was on craft x or something like that and i was talking about it to um simon and i said yeah, I mean, this is nice, but what I really want is class inheritance in CSS. Like, that's yeah. what I want. And then a couple of months later,
3: there it is. I'm
0: looking at Tailwind, and I'm like, holy crap, Adam gave me exactly what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. It's
2: crazy. Yeah, and to be fair, like, I didn't invent it, right? I stole this concept. From you
0: me. invented it. Wow. No. Um, as far as I'm concerned, you <laughs> invented it.
2: And you could do it in SAS and stuff, too, if uh, people would use, like, at Extend, right? Right. Which... It has a lot of downsides, so it's sort of, you know, considered not a good way to to reuse styles or um, any because it affects the order that things get declared in and it does a bunch of funky stuff. But in terms of just like, OK, I have a class that sets my margin to this value from a, a predefined scale of margins um, and I want to sort of bake that into another class. Well, you can use add apply to just say apply this margin class to this component class. And now they're sort of like permanently linked because, you know, like you had sort of alluded to one of the biggest sort of turnoffs for people who are trying to take this sort of approach, this utility focused approach to, to CSS and to your markup is when you see that you're to create a button, you need to add a class to define the background color, a class to define the font weight, a class to define the padding, a class Ah, uh, to define the font color, um, you know, a class to define how it should look on hover. Yeah, like, it, it looks like
0: things. someone vomited in your HTML, right? If you yeah, have you that can many classes, you end
2: up with like nine or twelve classes right. in this single element. Right. Which, although it like looks ugly, it's hard to come up with like a purely objective reason for why it's inherently bad until you start seeing those same nine classes repeated on fifty buttons in your site. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well. If I need to change one of these buttons and I want to change all the other ones at the same time, it's going to be this gross find and replace thing. It just doesn't feel like the right workflow to to do that.
0: Right. And that's what Adam and that's I'm sorry. That's what Simon ended up doing when he rebuilt that site with Tachyons is he actually created a bunch of helper variables in Twig. Mm. So he then, you know, in Twig, he would say like, you know, uh, set you know, blog title equals, and then give it this whole long list of classes so that if he did want to change that kind of component class, he could do it there. Totally. And, you know, I said to him, I mean, yeah, you can do it. It just feels weird. And it, it's like we're, we're still doing the same thing, right? But yeah. we're changing where we're doing it. Like in the past, if we wanted to do this in CSS, we would just define a semantic class and put all the classes in there and say, so, okay, we're not going to do that there. Um, we're gonna use utility CSS and then we're gonna co- create this, you know, combined component in Twig, uh, yeah. is how he ended up doing it. And but the yeah, fact like that you're you... saying, it accomplishes
2: the same thing and yeah. totally is a works right it's just I we changing issue, where
0: we're doing it
2: yeah. yeah and and i think it's a more of a leap for people to jump to doing it that way like right it's already hard to show someone like a utility focused css approach and get them to be even willing to try it because right. a lot of the time it's just so different to what you're used to and seems to go against everything you've been taught is the right way to do things so to combine that with saying well You also have to solve these problems using this new templating thing like a lot of time That's just enough to make someone say, okay I'm just gonna keep doing things the way that I was doing it I don't want to have to change everything about the way I've worked forever and a lot of these other utility frameworks do promote sort of um, Using your templating language as the means of avoiding duplication, right if you have a button uh, with nine classes on it you should create like a partial or something for your button and then use that everywhere that's sort of the yeah. you know how they would recommend doing it which can work um, it felt kind of find... gross
0: to me to do it that way
2: and it's also just like a lot to enforce on someone right if right. you're building like a wordpress template or something and you don't even have like a templating language now you're saying to someone well if you want to approach your css this way you also have to adopt a templating language otherwise right. you're going to have all these problems it's it's just like that's like the straw that breaks the camel's back in terms of getting someone to be willing to even try it so with tailwind i think like we've done a good job of of creating a a more comfortable path um to trying this stuff while still feeling like you can keep one foot in the pool that you're already comfortable with right and that's just
0: it you you hit the sweet spot and the the thing i'll say about conventional wisdom Uh, And I realized that, you know, some of the things that are in Utility First CSS go against the conventional wisdom that's kind of been in the web dev market for for some time. But it was less than 100 years ago that conventional wisdom in the United States was that women women shouldn't vote, right? And that was obviously (laughs) wrong and stupid, right? So we need to be able to look at the things that we think are, uh, you know, just knowledge that is a given and it should always be this way. Uh, and reevaluate it. And I'll tell you what, Tailwind is uh, has definitely done that for me, because again, my favorite thing about it is that I can sit down with an empty project, and I can just start prototyping. And I can just yeah. hammer it out using the utility classes, and I can have something up and running, presentable, could show it to a client very, very quickly, because of the base of, uh, of style sheets that are in there. But I uh, I'm curious. Uh, I know that this is the first time that Earl mm-hmm. has been exposed to Tailwind at all. Yeah. I'm wondering cool. if Earl has any kind of thoughts on what we're talking about, or do you think you're in the room with crazy people?
3: No, no. <laughs> I uh, well, that's the thing is that. So I came into this completely dark. Uh, I talked to Andrew a couple of days ago about you know potentially doing some. You know, I haven't had a chance to dive into it yet and look around. And Andrew's like that might be a good thing, man. Just come into it and, and check it out. And uh, so the first thing that that uh, that jumps out at me which I think is great and is really interesting. Is it goes back to what Andrew was talking about as far as like taking a PSD and trying to hammer it into something in CSS, right? So yep. the way that I've always gone about it is I end up making those component-based classes where I say, okay, I'm looking at a single-page design. I'm going to need these components, and I start designing the components, and I start hammering away and, you know, and this and that. Um, but from a utility-first standpoint, it changes, it completely changes the way that I end up looking at that at that psd right instead yep. of saying what components do i need i start really getting granular with it and say okay i'm going to need you know write aligned text here box shadows here and this and that and so you start building these uh, like you know these utility classes and then and, and, and yeah it just it changes the workflow which you guys already touched on uh it changes the workflow completely to say okay uh you know let the components come out of the utility Right. Instead of, which is, I, again, I never. it just never occurred to me. And the add apply thing is, like, is just blowing my mind. Dude. Well, and
0: that's the <laughs> point that Adam made earlier, which is that we do kind of premature refactoring of these things into classes. Because right. how many times has it happened that you tried to define these abstract classes and you're building stuff and then you get like 80% of the way in and you're like, oh, crap. Yeah. Like this doesn't yeah, actually.
2: There's like one implementation yes. of it that has this slight difference. Yeah, this doesn't like... fit
0: in. And now my whole hierarchy just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I can either and you gut it.
2: Doing things where you have like a modifier that like undoes some style right. for <laughs> the component. Yeah. And that, that always right. feels backwards, right? That's when you're so trying weird. to add yeah. classes to undo styles. Right.
0: Um, and you can, you have two choices there, really. You can go back and you can refactor everything, right? Um, or you can monkey patch it. And yeah. when the client is like, um, you know, I want to look at it tomorrow, you're more inclined to monkey patch it. Yeah. Well,
3: <laughs> right? you, you know, what and your right
2: you you CSS just gets can't. more and more yeah. fragile over time in that sense too, right? Because CSS is one of the scariest things to change on a project because yes. it's so hard to know for sure what the consequences are going to be. Yeah, unless and that's, you've yeah, you know.
3: it's right in the name it cascades. Yes. You're, you're, you're going to cascade problems. <laughs> you know?
0: And and that's the fun thing, that, and that's something that Simon has kind of harped on all the time, is that when you scale CS up, CSS up to a certain point, the kind of reusability goes out the window because you're scared to touch it, because <laughs> the changes you make could have implications. You know, you could break stuff in, in various places, um, and it really, people end up with kind of scary large CSS code bases and they become monstrosities that you just don't want to touch because you're just like, well, yeah, you know, I I really would like to fix this the right way, but it's going to break half of my pages and I'm going to lose days trying to fix it, you know?
1: I remember being horrified the first time I saw more CSS on a page than HTML. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is clearly wrong.
0: But I I've seen stuff where... I have seen, I mean, I I cannot unsee it. I've stared into the void, and I have seen like these CSS that has been built over years, and it's just stuff piled on top of stuff, piled on top of stuff. And it's like going into um, a hoarder's house and trying to make sense of it if you're being called in to try and work on it. And it's just a nightmare. Um, And that's one other kind of nice thing that I think uh, Tailwind gives you is that I can approach any of the projects that I'm working on using Tailwind and I know how to do stuff. Like I can change I stuff and have confidence that this is, these are standard things and this is the way that they're going to work. And I think that's fantastic. I
1: yeah. think what's happening is CSS is growing up over the last, uh, how many years? 10, probably not 20, but it's getting bigger, you know, more... CSS gets thrown into things. It's being used to do more stuff. Yep. And and so it's re- acquiring or it's needing to acquire things like how do you refactor your CSS? It's not a problem, really, if there's way more HTML than CSS on a page and not that much of either. Yep. And so this is it's like, you know, you say, okay, we're going to use Sass because we really need a preprocessor. and suddenly, you know, you start trying to figure out how to make stuff tractable. You're going to use a CSS framework at all instead of, you know, starting from scratch or, or maybe you always put a little bit of margin on your body class and, you know, you have three lines of standard CSS that you start from.
0: So I want to kind of switch gears because I I mentioned earlier that I don't consider Tailwind to necessarily be a CSS framework. And that the workflow is something that I uh, I really enjoy about it. The other thing that when I... <laughs> and Simon is, again, the first one that pointed Tailwind CSS out to me. When I first looked at it, I said, oh, this looks neat. And then I looked further, and I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I've got to run some custom JavaScript just to generate my CSS? Like, that's how this works? But the more that I looked at that and the way that you did that, um, I think it's brilliant because basically... You don't just get Tailwind as it is, right? There are yeah. a number of things that you can customize um, in your Tailwind.js. So basically, your build process is um, you run uh, the uh, Tailwind.js, and it actually generates your Tailwind for you. And you can use you can use it right out of the box, and the defaults are very very reasonable. Um, but you can also go in and you can add whatever colors you want to use. And and then it will generate all of the various classes for uh, text color, background color, you know, based on those. Um, Mm -hmm. You can define the CSS breakpoints for media queries um, semantically. So you have the screens property where you can say the small screen is 576 pixels, XL is 1200, and you can have as many or as few as you want. Um, and then it will generate all of the uh, the at-media uh, query breakpoints for you. Um, and on and on and on. There are a number of settings in here. You can define all your fonts in there, your text sizes. And effectively, I would call Tailwind more of a CSS generator. Does that sound reasonable?
2: Yeah, yeah we think of it as sort of, I mean, the, the whole goal of the framework is to be something that you can use to build completely custom user interfaces, Right. right? You, you, we didn't want to build something that had like a look to it, right whereas with like bootstrap, although bootstrap is super customizable too, I don't think they do enough education in terms of teaching people how to customize it and extend it and stuff. And what you end up with is a lot of sites that just are really identifiably bootstrap sites um, yeah there's so a, there's I mean, even
0: a website out there called every Bleeping bootstrap website ever. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Like, I don't know if you've seen it, but if you Google no, every... It, brute... it,
2: like, crawls around looking for sites that detects our bootstraps. No, no, no. Or...
0: It's just... It's a kind of generic-ish oh. version. It's, a, it's like a satire. Like a satirical it, It's satire. a satire, yeah. but it's accurate.
3: Oh, it's totally accurate, yeah. Well, it's totally satire, accurate
0: because yeah. it's got it's got a hero <laughs> image, yeah. it's got a big <laughs> font, it's got a button, <laughs> and then it's got the four subsections. And, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and yep. I think that some of the, the natural evolution of working with css is that people start writing it on their own then they find these frameworks and they're like yes i can just use this it you know it does everything for me right then after yeah. they've used a framework like bootstrap for a while it starts to kind of slowly dawn on you that you're spending more time trying to hammer the framework into doing what you want and and ending up with this massive bloat of css that you're you're not using And then I think kind of the natural evolution is for people to kind of go back to just doing their own custom CSS, but having a utility first, uh, CSS generator like Tailwind that will take care of kind of the baseline stuff for you, I think is a fantastic way to do it.
2: Yeah. Like we've just been so focused on the customization story from the beginning and, Mm -hmm. um, like the whole customization thing isn't like a second class sort of citizen, right? Like Bootstrap, there's so many people who use it from a CDN and like, that's it. Or they download it pre-built and that's it. Some people will pull in the SAS version and override variables and stuff. But I don't think that's the majority of users. Whereas with Tailwind, like we provide a CDN version because it's convenient if you're trying to make a code pen demo or something. Um, But the whole story from the beginning of the documentation is like, this is what you do. You install it with NPM. You generate your config file, yep, and it, you know it, we just really, really encourage you to take ownership of that sort of thing, so that if you want to have different breakpoints, like you don't have to go and learn how to customize the breakpoints after the fact. It's like we've sort of shown you this from the very beginning. Yeah, um, and, and
0: and let me for for people that haven't used Tailwind before, let me give a, a hopefully a simple example of how this might be useful. So. In the tailwind.js, you can define your uh, screens, which are in tailwind parlance, those are your at media query breakpoints. And you can define them with names. So like for instance, uh, I mentioned it before, small will be 576 pixels, right? Then in your actual CSS, you can just put at screen colon sm for small, and dump whatever CSS you want in there, And it will generate that with the proper uh, at media query uh, breakpoint. But the nice thing about that is if you decide to go back and change it, if you're like, well, you know, actually, I don't want my small size to be 576. I want it to be 700. You can just change it in the tailwind config. And it regenerates everything, and it all just works. And it's the same with your fonts. It's the same with your colors. Um, And I I just think that was... A super clever way to do it adam nice job
2: yeah thanks yeah the idea of that config file is almost to just be like a like a javascript representation of your like design system or style right. guide for your project right you pick sort of what your type scale is what your spacing scale is what your color palette is um and you can name anything whatever you want so if, if one person wants to name their colors primary secondary tertiary another person wants to name their colors red blue and green you it's that's totally up to you and you can kind of do whatever you want there. Um, So yeah, it's, that's kind of the whole, the whole story, right?
0: Yeah. And that's, that's a really good point is that this tailwind.js file then gives you kind of an overview from a very broad perspective of what your design system for the site is.
1: You know, you don't have
0: to go combing through hundreds of pages of CSS to look at what your, what your type scale is, for instance, you know? Yeah. And we you don't have to do a search yet, and replace. Oh, <laughs> if, if yeah. God forbid, you want to change your type scale. You know, yeah. you don't have to do some crazy regex to change everything. You just change uh-huh. it in the config file and regenerate it.
2: Yeah, for sure. It's something we're planning to do. I haven't, haven't actually started on yet, but it's in the cards, is being able to take these config files and generate like documentation for your project. Oh, nice. That is similar to like the documentation that we have for the actual framework, but with all your values inserted, with the mm-hmm. examples updated to show... Stuff based on your values and stuff. Yeah, that's a neat so, idea,
0: so, or or yeah. even I, a simplified style guide for clients too. You know. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah,
1: I'm thinking that what's going to come along after Tailwind is going to be something called CSS Storm or so. You know, <laughs> because CSS getting complex and managing all that complexity is what we're all struggling to do one way or another.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the one thing I can tell you about that is I was um, hesitant to give Tailwind a shot, um, but I, I f- am finding I am having to spend less time struggling with CSS and it just kind of works in terms of generating stuff. Um, and I, I even do some funky stuff, Adam, like um, I use uh, Font Face Observer, right? So that I can render uh, a web safe font and then after the, the font event has happened and it's loaded, um, I can swap in the actual font. And I was looking through Tailwind, and I'm like, oh, God, I hope it's not going to fight me on this. But no, it was super easy to uh, create that pattern in my CSS and have it just work. And awesome. I, I just love tools that don't impose their idea of how things should work on me. You know?
2: Yeah, we try really hard to make sure that it's not it's not going to like get in your way or that you're going to have to fight with it in any way. And that's a lot easier being a utility framework than trying to provide higher level components like bulma or foundation or bootstrap right. does where you sort of have no choice but to bake in some opinions about how things should look or how things should work but uh yeah so far it's it's worked out pretty well again like the whole goal was like i want to have something that gives me a sane starting point for different projects even mm-hmm. when those projects look completely different because i was sick of starting from a completely blank canvas every single time it's awful. I just felt like there must be something that's reusable here you know what I mean? And sort of stumbling on the workflow was what made that. I got, made realize what I, I, could I got it. I got it.
0: This is a perfect analog. So I have been administering um, Unix boxes for longer than I care to tell anyone. So I, I know what I'm doing uh, around the uh, the shell. Um, but I I don't want to start provisioning in a new server from just the base Ubuntu 16.04 like I, it's just horrible. I know how to do it, but it's awful. Um, so I use Forge to provision it. Some people use Server Pilot. Really, that's analogous to what Tailwind is doing. It's almost a CSS provisioner in a way. Yeah. You know, it's it, no really, it's it's provisioning my CSS style sheets with a, a really nice base framework that I can work from. Uh, the same way Forge provisions my server. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. Now, some other really kind of interesting stuff about Tailwind is that if you start adding tons of stuff to it uh, in terms of a whole lot of uh, different screens or a whole lot of different sizes, um, the CSS can get kind of big in totally. terms of just the generated CSS. like I think the the base install, I think, is like 245K, something like that. If you change nothing and you just build it. Yeah. I think that's how it, big it, it is.
2: I think it gzips down to like 31 kilobytes or something, which that's is still bigger than like right. bootstrap and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not a, a micro framework or anything by any means.
0: But that's the, the interesting thing, though, is because of all the repeating patterns that are in <laughs> that text, it compresses ridiculously well. Yeah, uh, with a lot Giso. better
2: than like regular custom CSS ever right. would. Yeah.
0: And the other thing that I've been using along with Tailwind is I've been using Purge CSS. That initially the someone pointed it out to me, and I had used, um, God, you know, maybe like five or six years ago, I'd used a tool like that, um, and it had ended up being a real pain in the ass. So I was hesitant to use it. Yeah. Um, but it actually works really easily, and what it does is. It rips through all of your HTML, all of your JavaScript, and it finds all of the classes that you use, and it strips out everything else. Yeah. And it took my, my uh, the CSS for devmode.fm was, you know, 245K, um, un- you know, minimized, but not gzipped. Yep. It took it took it down to 8K. <laughs> <laughs> like
2: 8, uncompressed. Eight 8K kilobytes.
0: uncompressed. That's yeah. all the CSS that was on the site. Um, totally. And I, I just thought that that was pretty wild.
2: Yeah, Purge CSS or, I mean, Purge CSS is a tool based on Purify uh, mm-hmm. CSS, which I don't think is, is super maintained right. anymore. Right. Um, but those they're sort of like a match made in heaven, right? Because right. Tailwind just fundamentally is always going to provide more CSS than you're ever going to use. Because the idea is that The classes you you need are already there and you never have to go and write them. So there's always going to be tons of classes that you never use, especially because we generate like responsive variations of every single class. So if you want something to be red on small screens and green on large screens, we have prefixes and stuff that you can add to your classes to make that really easy to do. But you could see how that sort of has like this combinatoric explosion effect when anytime you add a new screen, it's going to just multiply right. by the number of colors, by the number of screens. It's so things can get pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, purge CSS works really awesome with uh in that sense, because uh, it just rips out everything that you're not using. And it's, it's one of those tools that is kind of scary to use because if you sit there and think to yourself about it as a developer you can come up with lots of ways that it could break you know what i mean like well what if my classes are stored in a database because i have some user-created html well how is it going to remove those and of course it can't or what if i'm dynamically generating a class name by concatenating two strings well it's not going to be able to detect that either right so you sort of have to like understand how it works so that because it affects how you author your templates a little bit. Um, But all it's really doing is literally going through every file that you provided, which um, is HTML, JavaScript, anything you want. Even SVGs, like anything. Anything. Yeah, It's literally just taking the contents of that file as a string, splitting it on spaces so you have an array of every space delimited string in that file and then comparing those strings against your css right so it's not even intelligent enough to like look for class attributes and extract classes right which sounds maybe like it's a bad thing but to me that actually makes me more confident because of how brain dead dumb and simple it actually is yeah it makes it easy to sort of understand what i need to do when i'm authoring my templates to make sure that i'm doing it in like a purge css no, know, I, I agree. Clever
0: be. ideas in programming are usually the worst.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because so yeah it, it, it works really well. Um, I mean, there's you can have like false positives in the sense that it might leave CSS that you're not actually using. Like, if you are never using the container class in your HTML, but you're building a site about shipping containers, mm, and right. the word container appears in an H1 tag, well, it's going to keep the container class. Right. But that's like more of a blessing, in my opinion, because... I'd rather have a couple classes left alone that I'm not actually using than have it accidentally remove classes that I actually needed. You know right, what I sure, mean? Yeah. And you can also provide a white list of classes to it if you really need to that says always keep these classes in there even if you didn't think they were being used.
0: Yeah, and another thing you can do is you can just create a dummy uh, you know, HTML or Twig file yeah. and just yeah, dump totally. any classes in yeah. there that are dynamically and created. I,
2: I think that's a great way to do it. You basically just create like a kitchen sink file yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But those are the exceptions. Like the only times that I've, I've run into where I've had to do that is um, for whatever reason it wasn't pulling out the classes uh, from uh, VueJS's v-bind class, for instance. Okay. It wasn't finding those. Um, okay. I don't know why. No big deal. Uh, initially, I added them to the whitelist, and then I just created a kitchen sink file for it to parse through there. There are literally three or four of them in there right now. Yeah. It's not many, Perfect. Um, but I, I don't want to get too uh, mired down into to purge CSS. Um, I just wanted to mention it because I thought it was really cool. Something that kind of works well with uh, Tailwind. Um, yeah. And one of the other nice things about the way uh, that Tailwind works is I use critical CSS on all of my sites where I inline you know all the critical CSS uh, to make it load nice and quick and all that, and because the C- the class names are so uh, terse and semantic or non-semantic, sorry, um, but terse kind of you know uh, stenographer style, it actually makes the critical CSS smaller too. That ends mm-hmm. up getting inlined, and then if you combined Tailwind's um, terse classes. With purge CSS, it removes everything you don't use. The critical CSS just ends up being super small and generated much quicker because it's got less to parse, less to parse through, and it's just really neat.
2: Yeah, I saw a guy made a like he redid his personal site with Tailwind, and uh, he was able to come with purge CSS um, and inlining CSS into his like actual site. Mm -hmm. He delivers like the entire personal site in like one nine kilobyte download with all the css inlined into the head of the document Mm -hmm. because it was just so small that it was not worth doing like a separate request or anything for. right and so yeah it's pretty interesting because like it looks like such a big framework but if you sort of do it right it's actually like incredibly small um tool so it's it's a different way of working for sure and you have to kind of adjust a few things to to really maximize like your decrease in file size you have to tweak the way you work a little bit but i think it's uh pretty you know insignificant uh long term for the gains that you're going to get in the that change in file size so well
0: maybe maybe i'm still on the honeymoon but i you know in using tailwind i feel like playing bob marley's emancipation song right because i feel like i've been freed from mental slavery right the totally <laughs> because really it, it just Um, And thank God, I mean, I I know it wasn't just you, because there are lots of people that have worked on this kind of concept of atomic CSS and utility CSS for quite some time. But thank God some people were thinking about different ways to attack um, this problem with CSS. And it it actually has enlightened me to problems in CSS that I didn't even know I had. Like, So one of the things that I'm doing right now is I'm redoing uh, nystudio107.com. I'm moving that from Craft CMS two to Craft CMS three, and at the same time, um, I'm refactoring all the CSS in Tailwind, and I'm redoing. I'm because cool. de- I'm an idiot. I decided to do both at the same time, right? Yep. And in in going through my CSS, I just realized how garbage it was. Like I, I like a lot of the CSS that I had written for that site. Like clearly, I had just kind of like dumped it in there to to get it working. Um and in refactoring it with Tailwind, it's really made me kinda look at it and some of it has kinda made me cringe. I was glad no one else was looking at it.
3: <laughs> well, I, I mean I feel like to be fair, I feel like that going back to anything I wrote more than mm-hmm. six months ago, you know, regardless yep. of language or what what I was doing. I'm just like, Man, you dummy, what, what were you what were you doing? <laughs> but I think
0: if you're not doing that, like if, if you look at something you did a year or two ago, and you don't shake your head and, you know, think you're an idiot, right. you probably aren't learning enough. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, it's probably perfectly normal. But I'm just saying that it, the change in mindset has made me look at the way that I was doing the, the CSS there uh, a whole lot differently. Um, and the, the current thing that I'm dealing with is that I'm getting uh, from a rich text field, I'm getting uh, a bunch of you know, rich HTML stuff uh, and finding a way to use Tailwind to style that, right? Because it has to be styled off of a wrapper. So you have to have a wrapper class and then, but, you know, using at apply, I can just do it the way I do everything else. Yeah,
2: know? I think that's that's honestly like an important point to understand with Tailwind in general is it's not trying to give you like some silver bullet solution where you never have to write CSS. Right. It's trying to like make a bunch of things easier But we also just try really hard to document, like, how to write new CSS the way that the creators of the framework would. Because for me, the biggest, you know, paralyzing thing I always hit with new tools is whenever I need to extend it or customize it in some way, I'm always thinking, like, oh, am I going to do this, like, in a dumb way? Like, how would someone who's really, really experienced with this do what I want to do? And sometimes it's hard to find that information. So uh, we try to do a good job of explaining clearly like, okay, well, if you need to create a new utility class, this is where you should put it in your file. Here's how you can reference values from the config file if you need to. Um, here's how you can make that generate responsive versions if you need them, that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, and the,
0: the Tailwind documentation is amazing. Um, I think the the two things that you did so well um, is, uh, A, the workflow that we've talked about before because Tailwind is not just a – framework. It is a whole workflow for doing this stuff, whether it's um, the part of the workflow where it generates uh, the CSS for you or the part of the workflow where you refactor the CSS out into component classes. That I think you've nailed. Um, And then the documentation is awesome because I can just go in there, type something to search for, and it's got a nice little autocomplete, click, go right to it, examples. Um, I think that makes a huge difference in terms of people's willingness to adopt it
3: absolutely yeah
0: and, and you know for instance um on my my previous stack that i had been using was i used something called flexbox grid right um yeah. i used normalized css flexbox grid and i think that was it for my base css um now that i'm refactoring it with tailwind because the the documentation is so awesome i'm not using uh i'm just using the flex classes that you have built yeah. into tailwind and it's just it's it's great,:
2: yeah, it's surprising how much you can do without having to step up to that extra level of abstraction a lot of the time.
0: You know, I mean, for what yeah. I was doing, you know, I don't need it at all. The, the Flex yeah. classes, combined with the examples that you had there, make it super easy to do the layout and, and actually um, I've been cleaning up the uh, the HTML and the CSS in the process, you know
2: yeah, awesome.
0: The only part that is that has annoyed me. Um, And it's not even really an annoyance was, you know, first I was going to go in and I was going to redo all of the HTML with kind of the utility classes in there, right? But then I realized that I have kind of a hybrid thing going on on my site. So um, I've got a a blog index page, right, that it lists some thumbnails of all the blogs. Then I also have a separate template that is what uh, Vue.js uses to async load. Uh Uh-oh. All right. Hold on a second, guys.
3: (laughs) Dog dog attack.
0: I think my wife just came home. (laughs) The dogs. Hopefully it won't get too loud. Um, But then I have a separate template that Vue.js uses to async load additional blog entries, right? So that's effectively duplicating that content. Um, And, you know, that's kind of a separate problem from the point of view of... Uh, I really would like to unify it so that Vue is rendering everything, but then I have to get into uh, server-side pre-rendering to help with the page speed, and it's just not a a path that I'm going down right now. Um, But then I also have a third template that is basically the same thing, but it is for the AMP, the Google AMP version of the pages, right? Because Google has some very specific tags. You can't just use an image tag. Um, So effectively in three places, I've got the very similar markup doing kind of the same thing, and I have to go back in and refactor it. And what I ended up doing was um, I was already using semantic classes. I ended up just refactoring um, those out. They're not semantic classes anymore. They are now components. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't change anything, but I'm calling them that. right? Um, and I just used uh, Tailwinds add apply to uh, refactor everything out into that, and that may seem like kind of a, a pointless exercise, but the fact that I'm using the same class names in my CSS file that I'm using in the actual templates is kind of a big deal, you know. For sure. I could, yeah, um, but that's some
2: of the magic numbers and stuff from your right files to not that you couldn't have figured out a way to do that before with variables and right. stuff like that but it just sort of like really helps you enforce some of this consistency if you can sort of work as hard as possible to only ever be referencing like existing utility classes when you're creating these component classes yeah it's it just buys you a lot of consistency for free um, in your designs
0: so the way i'm approaching it is i'm getting the regular templates done first and then i'm uh then moving those over and redoing the AMP versions of them. And same thing with the uh, the async loaded uh, view stuff. Um, and it's worked pretty well, but it's been kind of annoying to do. Um, but I think that, I don't think there's necessarily a tailwind problem. That's just if you're refactoring anything and you've got sure. multiple instances of it, it's going to be annoying to do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's just kind of the way it is.
1: That's what the refactoring is for, is to reduce some of those multiple instances.
0: Yeah, but you know, sometimes refactoring makes me want to take Xanax before I do it because it, it can be pretty brutal. Well, it's adorable. that's only sometimes. That's, that's that's good for you. Um, so, Marion, I don't know what is your kind of uh, experience with utility CSS. Are you coming into this cold as well, or?
1: I'm. I guess my experience is that I sort of always end up. Trying to write my own utility CSS mm. so that I don't start with a blank slate, but I start with these are the things that were useful to me. You know, here's right. how I automated the. You know, I have my little file where I say here I, I define the colors and I define the fonts and I define the breakpoints, and I you know I'm a SaaS person and and there they are.
0: So are we good salesmen? Have we convinced you to at least uh, take a look at this tailwind thing? You've
1: convinced me to take a look at it. You've convinced me that um, it's been a long time since you could reasonably expect all of your CSS to fit on one screen. Right. So that you could, (laughs) you know, reasonably edit it. And so we need better tooling and whether that's gonna be right. CSS Storm, you know, some the big guys come in with some all all in or visual CSS or whatever, all uh, all singing, all dancing thing that will help you manage that complexity, whether, you know, it's gonna be changes in the culture so that we decide we no longer want our buttons to have, you know, all kinds of features, but just a, a plain, plain blue blob is fine, as long as the corners are rounded, and that no longer has to look like it's a, you know, it's got highlights from a particular angle, and and uh, looks different when it's pushed. Right, that's, that certainly has
0: helped. Well, I think that's just a, a visual thing, at least in my opinion. the The it concepts a, that are in Tailwind are bigger than Tailwind from the point of view of they are. Broad concepts that is being used in all levels of computer science. That's what I'm picking up from the
1: broad concept. Broad concepts is that it's about making refactoring easier. Right. And which is like key to managing that complexity. Because if you just take all of that complexity and you say, well, we're shoving it into all of these utility classes and we're dumping it in our HTML right you haven't you know you just sort of pushed the problem around or or even made it worse but um if you so it you know that complexity needs to be encapsulated and if you are coming up with better tools for managing and encapsulating and dealing with that complexity so that you don't get these css files that that uh you know, look like somebody has had a candle dripping there for the last twenty years. Well, <laughs> then it.
3: that's really apt. <laughs> the candle
0: dripping is yeah, a perfect analogy yeah, in terms yeah. of the way a lot of this <laughs> CSS stuff builds up, Marion, That is gold. That's
3: going to become an actual term. I'm pretty sure. That's yeah. A, <laughs> all right. That's candle. candle yeah. drip
0: CSS. Just drip I love it. Your
1: CSS all over the place. <laughs> yeah, candle cool. like drip good. code good. in general. Yeah, yeah. You know, you certainly get get it everywhere
0: but the but the broader concepts of a uh a workflow and i'm huge on workflows in terms of i think adopting a good workflow just makes you more productive and it helps you like mentally because you know that certain things are just taken care of and they're done right and they're done in a standard way so that when i approach a new project you know boom i can just start up and running with a really good base of stuff um, and I think that concept that Tailwind embraces is universal from the point of view of, um, you know, we've got a, a generator to build this stuff. Here's your base. And then you, uh, you can then refactor these things. And I, I just think that whether, uh, you know, Tailwind is the thing that it, we're using in 10 years, I think the concepts from Tailwind, for sure, we're going to be using to, in one way or another. Because they're universal
1: concepts. I can believe that we will be using the concepts in ten years. i doubt very much that unless it's changed out of all recognition that tailwind itself will be the thing we're using in ten years. It'll
0: be tailwind ten okay it'll be
1: tailwind ten, <laughs> but it's gonna be it's gonna be you know your i d e like right nobody uses notepad to write their p h p. code they
0: do no, I've seen people doing it
1: okay. And it used to be, and it used to be maybe reasonable, but right. it's it's not a it's not a serious contender for here's the best way to write, write PHP. Right. And it's not going to be a serious contender for here's the best way to write CSS either. Right. All of these things kind of start small and simple, and then they and then they get big, and you need much more tooling to manage them. Well, I think the
0: important thing for me is that here and now, today, Tailwind lets me build sites quicker in terms of prototyping them quicker. Um, and what I end up with as a result is not a, uh, a drip candle CSS. <laughs> right? Like I can, I'm actually building something manageable and I don't feel that I don't want to touch it because it's going to break something. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's just a, a really, really great way to work. Um, And I hope that, uh, you know, some people may have visceral reactions to uh, the whole idea of Utility CSS. To you listening, who just love BEM, like you have a a BEM teddy bear that you cuddle up at night with and you caress it as you go to bed, give Utility First CSS a shot because I was very... My initial reaction was also revulsion, um, but I have found that it makes me much less hesitant about doing the CSS. I mean, I, think I really, really enjoy it. So if you're skeptical, try it. I mean, that's sounds really like, what I have to say.
1: Sounds like utility first, but also don't ref- forget the refactoring second.
0: Well, and that's something, Adam, that I think you did awesome, is that, and you know, nothing against tachyons. It kind of blazed a trail to some extent, but it was very uncompromising. Um, and yes, there were ways to do some of this refactoring, but it was a lot more work. Um, the workflow that you've built in with Add Apply um, and the JavaScript generator is just so easy to use that it makes me want to do it. You yeah. know, um, and I think that's a critical part of uh, embracing something like this. And I think that's why. Um, there may be more resistance to something like Tailwind because it doesn't it doesn't strike that comfortable middle ground and it doesn't give you as much um, preset workflow. Uh, do you yeah. have any thoughts on that, Adam?
2: No, I think that's kind of exactly the problem that we sort of set out to solve, right? There was definitely other tools out there that encouraged the same sort of approach to you know, implementing a design in terms of, pose things out of tons of small purpose classes Um, but there wasn't a lot out there that really gave a lot of guidance on the best way to work in general right right and that was always like my my biggest paralyzing point with some of these other tools was like okay well i want to customize this well how do i customize it i search on the website well how do i customize this and there's no documentation about customization at all you know instead you have to just kind of poke around through github issues and see like what people, other people are doing and sort of figure it out, which is fine, right? And some people like having things set up that way where, um, you know, they don't really want to be handheld at all. They just want to have the tool and they want to figure out the way that they think is the best way to work with it or whatever. And I'm not like that. So I assume that there's just got to be other people out there who aren't like that either. Like, right. I just don't want to make decisions. I don't want to be shown, well, here's four ways you can customize it. You choose which one makes most sense to you. I want to be shown like this is the recommended way to do this, right? And then I can just stop worrying that I've chosen a suboptimal approach, and uh, know that I'm doing what's recommended, and use my mental energy to focus on the stuff that I'm actually responsible. And for and that's
0: critical when we we all only have so much mental energy, right? Yeah. And and having the reason we use tools is it allows us to spare save our mental energy for the the part that we really need to focus on, but it, there's kind of a a separation between uh, the tool and how to use the tool, right? Like if I, if I handed you a bandsaw like here, here's this bandsaw, I'm going to plug it in and I want you to, you know, you're like, Oh, cool. I got this awesome bandsaw. But if I don't know that I shouldn't be cutting against the grain, you know, I I could make a mess of it. You can have the coolest tool in the world, but the skill and the workflow that you need while using that tool is equally and sometimes even more important than the tool itself.
3: Well, you know, yeah, you know, in, yeah. that, in the bandsaw analogy, I mean, it's, You cut your hand it's, off. You're responsible, right? You right. can't just, you know, I made this sweet, this sweet device. Uh, figure out the best way to use it. Right. Uh, I'll give you one yeah. tip: uh, keep your fingers away from it. Uh, yeah. You know, but that's like that's not that's not particularly. And possible.
2: it's you've
0: got this bandsaw, and it's got twenty unlabeled buttons on the outside of it. Right. And you've got this spinning right. disc of death, and you're like, oh, I wonder what happens yeah. if I push that yeah. button. All you the know?
3: buttons are red. Yeah. They all look like eject buttons.
0: Yeah. But how yeah. many times have we seen? People do kind of the equivalent of you know taking cutting their arm off with a bandsaw when they're using a new technology and it's because yeah. they don't know how to use it right
3: you um, well you know and adam touched on in terms of how people like to work uh you know I for one respect diligent documentation uh right uh, it's just yeah. I, We're all kind of, well, not, maybe not you guys. I mean, I I don't work for, high page industries is just my own thing. It's just me out there. So there's a lot of us that are just sitting behind keyboards all alone with the vastness of the internet in front of us and all, I mean, the tools now that are available are just insane. So Mm. I I feel like if you have any hopes of, um, getting people to adopt your tool, uh, documentation is just, I mean, good documentation is just a complete necessity, um, Otherwise, you just made something for yourself, which is fine. I mean, you make something for yourself and maybe a couple of your friends use it and stuff. But any hopes of wide uh, adoption has to come with really stellar documentation.
2: For sure.
0: Yeah, and Adam, maybe you have encountered this, but I I do a blog where I write about a bunch of tech-related issues. And I find that when I am writing something from the point of view that I'm trying to explain it to something else, I end up learning it and doing a better job learning it or developing it than if I was just doing it on my own. Because I have to think about all of the cases that other people might encounter and all of the things that they might think of. Have you kind of run into that with Tailwind in creating it?
2: Uh, I don't know necessarily specifically with Tailwind, but I agree with just in general that when you have to teach something, you learn it at a different level than you would if you just had to learn it to use it yourself.
3: Right. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure uh, that that carried over with uh, the documentation and stuff in terms of just really nailing down the workflows and thinking through the different problems that people were going to run into right. and, and how we can help them avoid them. Uh, but, yeah, I definitely agree.
0: It sure feels like it to me. You know, it it feels like this was a, uh, a framework and documentation uh, written for people to use, you know, and not just your own personal
3: little thing. Um, I do have just one one quick uh, question in terms of um, actual like day-to-day uh, usability of this uh, just again this is my first experience with it I see lots of classes with things like p2 and and mm-hmm. so when you're working on these things are you defining uh, are you the one that's uh, defining the prefixes um, does tailwind define prefixes for you and e- in either in either scenario when you're working with it uh, how do you how, how do you keep all of that in your mind, or are you constantly going through and looking for references? Is it just something that you get used to uh, after a while, uh, you know, of using it? Or I'm just curious about how yeah. to keep all the all I'll, the I'll classes it. in mind. Yeah,
0: I'll answer it, and then I'll let Adam answer it. Right? Okay,
1: sure. Yeah.
3: Well, I'm interested, yeah, to hear because you got everybody <laughs> works differently. So.
0: my well, my perspective is as someone using it, and his is as someone who has created it. So, sure, right. his answer will be uh, much more correct than mine. But the way that I work with it, um, and first of all, yes, Tailwind generates all of these base utility classes for you. Um, So you have, like for padding, for instance, there's uh, uh, P-1 is the smallest padding size. Okay. And if you want uh, just padding along the x-axis, you do Px-1. If you want padding everywhere, you just do P-1. If you want padding only on the top, you do PT-1, mm. padding top one. So okay. it's kind of like a stenographer's uh, shorthand for okay. it. Yeah, that makes sense. And the way that you learn it um, is by looking at the documentation. I mean, that's how I learned it. Um, and I also have, I use PHPStorm. It auto-completes all this stuff for me, so it's pretty easy to look it up. But it's it, it uses like a stenographer style, uh, I can never pronounce this word, munonic, munonic, Help me out. Thank you. Thank you. I still can't pronounce it, even though you just said it. Um, Where it's kind of a shorthand where you are typing a lot less. Because once you learn it, but yes, there is that hurdle of learning it. But all of the class names kind of make sense. And you you look them up as you learn them. All right, Adam. Answer it correctly.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no. That's exactly right. So um, the prefixes are all kind of like baked in, right? You can't really customize that stuff. But for anything that kind of has multiple variations or multiple sizes, like padding or font families or colors, um, you sort of define the right-hand side of each class. So right. with padding, we have a default scale, which I think goes from 1 to 8. It does. And they are all proportional, right? So like P8 is 8 times bigger than P1, and P4 is half the size of P8. Right. And our default scale, I think the lowest value is a quarter rem, and mm-hmm. they just kind of increase from there but you can change even what the 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 key is for those right so if you want to use a numeric padding scale like we have which is one through eight you just roll with the default if you want to change the values maybe you're working on a site where it makes more sense for things to be defined in pixels instead of ram you can just change the scale to be whatever you want Ah. Um, but you can also change what the actual um key is right so if you wanted to have psm pmd plg pxl you could change it to that too right. if you wanted
3: to oh, okay I see. Um,
2: and so you sort of have complete control there but in terms of how i actually work with those i think you sort of learn them um just by working with it and by going through the documentation but that said most of the time i'm just doing rapid experimentation like in the browser with my html file open right so I'll say, okay, well this needs some padding. I'll try P4 to start. And I just look, it could be more, just change that to P6. I never really go and like look at a design and measure what the values are and then translate that to the appropriate tailwind value and then apply it the first time. It's all like get in the ballpark with like a guess and then sort of trial and error until you fine tune it to what you want usually. Um, At least that's the workflow that I use and Because of that, that's influenced sort of like the default scales and stuff to make sure that it was fairly easy to guess what other values existed in the range that you're in, Um, which is still hard in some cases, right? Like with our height and width helpers, um, there's like a W8. And then I think it goes to W10 then W12, but maybe W10 doesn't exist, I don't know. So sometimes you run into situations where you- There is a
0: W10. You wanna go,
2: yeah, so if you're on W12, um, it's not immediately obvious that W10 is the next smallest one, and right. there's no W11, right? right? But the reason we do that is to keep them proportional, so that you know, like, that 10 is going to be twice as big as five. That ended up being more useful in those cases. But for other things where, where there weren't so many values, like for example, text size, instead of using a numeric scale, we used like a named scale. So right. there's like XS for extra small, SM and base, which is like your root font size, and then LG, XL, 2XL, 3XL. And those ones are nice because you always know what's on either side of the current value that you're on, right? right. So if you're using this workflow where it's like, okay, I'm gonna try text 2XL, oh, that's not big enough. I know text 3XL is the next one, or I know text XL is the one underneath it. So that's kind of my general workflow. I'm always just like throwing you know, an arrow at the board and seeing where it hits and then just kind of fine tuning on either side of it until I, I get to what I want. So I'm, I'm never really referencing the documentation of course, which is not really a fair comparison to most people since I picked the name. Right. Right. Exactly. It should be intuitive to me. Yeah. Of course Um, you
0: remember the name of your own child. Right. 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 Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs)
2: Um, but yeah, in general, we try to make things like pretty guessable and try to sort of optimize for that. Just sort of finicking around in yeah. the browser. Well, so it's,
3: it's, it's fairly intuitive once you you know you explain it that way. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Like you said the throwing the dart at the board. Uh, I mean, that's the same. Even when I'm writing a component or something, I'm looking at something in a PSD unless I'm actually you know taking the rulers out and stuff. Uh, right. I'm just kind of like, yeah. all right, Which, let me just let me just eyeball this and then, I'll, and then I'll, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah. But I, I you know there's Definitely designers that I've worked with that are like, uh, this is off by a couple of pixels. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I guess. Uh, you're not looking at it in Safari, are you? Maybe maybe don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that <works.
1: laughs> yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's the important point is that Tailwind provides some really smart defaults for you. Um, and if for some reason those defaults you don't like, them. And, and the other nice thing about the, uh, the short class names is you can type them quickly. Oh yeah like as, yeah. as a programmer every time you save one character you think that you've just like you've done the most <laughs> awesome thing in the world right, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you can customize these things so as a, as an example tailwind provides some really great uh, default text sizes right um, but for the site that I was working on I needed a smaller text size um, so I created uh, you know his typescale, I think it has like uh, yeah, it's got XL, two XL, three XL. So I added a two XS, right? Because mm-hmm. I needed a smaller size. Sure. And then Tailwind just rebuilt everything, and I can just use it. Yeah, so And away awesome. you go, and you get this. You know, it, it's just it's really really nice the the way that it ends up working. Um, well, Adam, I know that you've got uh, a function that you need to get to. Um. I think this has been a fantastic talk and thank you for putting up with all of our tech fail at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. um, no problem. But are, are, is there any uh, kind of parting words you want to say about, uh, about Tailwind? I mean, I, what I can say about it is that I went from hating the entire idea and wanting to burn it to the ground to absolutely loving it. Um, and I just think it's fantastic. And if you can do, if you can turn someone's mindset around like that, in a short amount of time. I think I kn- you're doing something right. You know? Cool. You have to be.
2: Really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean um I would say if you're interested in checking out the framework, if this conversation has been uh, kind of got your interest peaked, you can just head over to tailwindcss.com to check out the documentation and kind of get it installed and play around with it. Um if you're still like not totally convinced, I wrote a blog post a couple months ago called CSS utility classes and separation of concerns which right. It's really an epic long post that sort of documents my entire journey as someone who was very pro-semantic CSS um, years ago, and sort of step-by-step step, how I got to where I am now and why I think the way that Tailwind encourages you to work um, works really well. I read so that if,
0: as show prep, and it's a great article, and we will link it in the show notes as well.
2: Cool. Yeah, so definitely check that out if you're not entirely convinced, or, or if you want to or, or if you think that, uh, you know, there's something I'm, I'm missing or something, I promise you that I've lived at every, you know, position on this scale between like fully semantic to crazy utility land. So, right, uh, just check that out. If, if, if yeah, you're that's a, a,
0: that's an important point. You didn't start here, right? You, no. you evolved and ended up here because the other solutions out there weren't working for you. Yeah,
2: I can yeah. even link you to blog posts I've written that show you how to avoid adding classes to your HTML <laughs> you <know? laughs> and how to be as semantic as possible. So that's great. So I've, I've been on both sides of it and I'm happy where I am now. Uh, right. On top of that, like uh, if you're already using Tailwind or, or want help with it, we have a, there's a GitHub repo called Tailwind CSS slash discuss, which we're using as a sort of like makeshift forum, uh, which is kind of nice because you can, GitHub just has really good support for code formatting and linking to different right. commits and projects and stuff, which is cool. What we about a Tailwind like a, Slack? Do we have one of those do, yet? We do have a Tailwind Slack, oh. too. Uh, hey, what do I have to do to that. get an invite there? All you got to do is go to the Tailwind GitHub repo, um, and we have like a section there called Community, where there's a link to the forum and also a link to, the, to join the Slack.
0: Nice. Well, I think that is a perfect ending. That wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. To have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our RSS feed or via iTunes or Google Play. And please, if you like what we're doing, leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at devmode.fm. And we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Just leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. Emerald Johnston.
1: Marion Nillivant.
0: Adam. I'm Adam Levin. <laughs> All right, <laughs> folks. Bye-bye. See ya.